1: Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'd like to quickly uh, say thank you to our sponsors, Holy Redeemer Health System and Trust Financial and Marketron, who are uh, great supporters of the show. And I'd also like to quickly give you our dial-in number in case you're listening and you'd like to join our conversation. You can do so by dialing 610-329-3306. I'm sorry, that's 888 329 3306 And I'm very excited today to have um, a wonderful guest with us, um, she is calling in from, I assume, Nashville, Tennessee, and her name is Megan Barry, and she is the mayor of Nashville. Megan, welcome to the show.
0: Sue, thank you so much. I really appreciate you including me.
1: Uh, I'm glad we could get you for some time. I can imagine your schedule is extremely tight, and uh, and you have a lot going on in your new role, um, and I should mention as the first woman mayor of Nashville, Correct.
0: Indeed, yeah, correct. I am the first woman
1: and you know we love firsts here on women to watch uh, you know, we're always celebrating that um obviously it's it's something that we're always rooting for and trying to encourage um young women and and women perhaps later in life to pursue those leadership roles. so congratulations to you.
0: oh, okay, well, thank you so much i'm um you know it's always fun to be a first. it means that nobody else has to be a first after me. That's,
1: that's right. Uh, that's, good thing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, listen,
0: I want to, you know,
1: to give the listeners a sense of where you came from and and who you are. I'd love to, if you could talk for a few minutes about um, your background. I understand you were born in California, but raised in Kansas, and um, and then eventually moved to Nashville, where you uh, received your MBA at Vanderbilt. Um, but I'd love to know what your aspirations were as a young girl, uh back prior to your
0: um your college years. Sure. Well yeah, I, I, I was actually I was born out in California. My dad was in the Marine Corps and then we made our way back to Kansas where my folks were from. And uh I grew up in, in Kansas and uh I I went to public schools until high school when I went to an, an all Catholic girls high school and that was actually really wonderful to just uh, be in a, an environment that was solely focused on education, but it has meant that throughout my life, I don't know how to get dressed in the morning. <laughs> 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 because I'm so used to wearing a uniform. So, well, I think that's a uh, big I'm not plus. Sure that ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, absolutely. Yeah, my daughter uh, went to... I, I tell you, yeah, did she, yeah. you, where did your daughter go?
1: Well, I was just going to say she did. She also went to an all-girls academy um, here in Philadelphia, and I really think that that was a plus, not having to worry about what the heck to wear every morning.
0: Absolutely, yeah. it, it surely took a load off. It did, and, uh, but it does mean I meant I missed that fashion gene somewhere <laughs> along the line. <laughs> uh, but when I was in when I was in in high school and then thinking about going on to college, I, I mean I really I, I worked in my high school newspaper and so I I loved being part of my high school newspaper and I really wanted to be a journalist. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but when I when I got to college, I kind of went into a different direction. My mom was very very focused on making sure that we, I have three sisters, that we all had professions that would enable us to be employed Mm. (laughs) after we went to college. So I have an undergraduate degree in elementary education, and my sister's a social worker, and my other sister's a nurse, and my other sister's in special ed. So, um, you know, I think that was my mom's way of saying you have to be able to take care of yourself.
1: Well, that's a great message, right? I mean, that's...
0: It was a great message, absolutely. And uh, fostered a wonderful sense of independence. Mm-hmm. And of course, I, I did teach for a, a few minutes and figured out that elementary education was not for me. I love that we have dedicated uh, public servants who teach our kids every day, but uh, I knew that that was not to be my passion.
1: Tell me what what it was about that um, that role that that you know really wasn't kind of fostering your passion.
0: Well, what it well what I wanted to do is I really wanted to do business and mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to see if there was some way that I could use my talents to make business uh much more focused around a social social responsibility mission. So by the time I went back and got my MBA and then spent 20 years in corporate America, I was very much focused on corporate responsibility, social responsibility and ethics. Uh cuz I did really believe that you could have progressive pro-business message and I took that with me when I ran for office
1: so tell me this I understand you had a a long career in what is called ethics compliance or I should say you were an ethics compliance officer I'm not sure that you know all people know what that is tell me what your day-to-day was what what exactly were you doing in that role
0: and, sure. And it well, was the wonderful in thing healthcare, about, yeah.
1: healthcare, and telecommunications. I actually, I did it in
0: telecommunications and healthcare. Okay. And the wonderful thing about uh, being an ethics and compliance officer is there was no such thing as a typical day. So uh, that and that made it a good fit for me. But what I focused on in the healthcare piece is I was uh, I was brought in to be the ethics and compliance officer for a company that was a for-profit entity that was owned by not-for-profit hospitals. And while We were absolutely adhering to the letter of the law. There were a lot of uh, components of the industry that made it a little bit uh, suspect in the the eyes of of how we did our contracting. So one of the things that we would do is we would do sole source, long-term, no-bid contracts. And clearly that violated the spirit of competition and, and fairness. So what I did is I came in and fundamentally changed a lot of the way we did our business practices. And that was kind of my charge as an ethics and compliance officer. We had to comply with the law, but sometimes the law is just the floor, and you have to go beyond the law to be fair and equitable.
1: Mm. Okay, so tell me um, what was your, I'll say, tactic for um, trying to to motivate your team uh, around you? In other words, that you know, in in that kind of role where, as you mentioned, every day was different, and you were having to you know really be innovative in the work that you were doing. How was it that you motivated the people that worked for you, your team?
0: Well, I was really lucky to have a, a team that was able to focus on process because so much of this was just about changing processes and and being excited and energized to want to implement change and. Uh, and I think, and I was able to create my team, so that always, I think, gives you uh, a great running start. And I've been able to do that too as the mayor of Nashville, uh, come in and create a team that shares uh, my vision for the city, and uh, and that helps move us a lot further down the the, the field than if you have to walk into some place and you have to inherit a team.
1: Right now, I'm really interested in knowing, you know, the the. Um... What was happening in your life the moment that you decided to run? That That's a big decision, you know, deciding to, to become the mayor of the city. And I'm wondering what precipitated that decision.
0: Well, lots of things went into that decision. And I think that typically, like a lot of women, I never really thought about running for public office. In fact, Rutgers does a lot of research on this through their institute. And one of the things that they have definitely discovered is that if you ask you know, women, if they've thought about running, they don't. But if you ask men, they think about it, no problem. And the reason women say that they don't want to run is because they don't feel like they're qualified or have the skills or can raise the money. And, and you know, my path to this was I never really thought too much about it. I just started off getting involved in my child's uh, PTO and in my neighborhood association and saw the pa- the impact and the power that you have at a local level of really shaping people's lives. And then that led to me running for my first office, which was a Metro Council member at large, which meant that I ran countywide, um, and I served two terms as, as a Metro Council at large before I ran for mayor. So I kind of built on all of that experience over time.
1: It gave you a little, a little taste of what it would be like. Did, were you ever concerned about some of the... The negative perspectives around politics and and what that would, you know, how that would change um, your life, putting you in the public eye.
0: Well, clearly being put into the public eye was a new adventure. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, One of the first things that you do when you run for office is you you hire somebody to go out and dig up all the dirt on you so that you'll know what your competition may come at you with. Mm. And... While my stack of dirt was pretty small, my <laughs> husband's was a lot bigger. <laughs> and, uh, and in fact, that's where they went. So, I mean, I think that was new for me. I didn't realize that they were going to go after my family. And I think that that may be much more gender specific. I don't think you find male politicians in the spotlight having to, uh, you know, having their families as much under scrutiny as you do perhaps women.
1: Hmm. Why do you, th- that's interesting. Why do you think that is?
0: I think it's because there's sometimes a perception that women are still very much an extension of their spouses. And, and clearly uh, there's definitely some perception that if a woman is running, how much is she going to be influenced by or a puppet of her husband? Mm. Um, but I don't think you think the reverse of, of on women and when you have a, a man running.
1: Right. Right. Um, I, I know that you have a son, and, and my guess is that, you know, you're setting such a great example for him um, and his views and perspective on young girls and women uh, just in general and in what roles they can and should be um, pursuing. Do you talk to him about that, or is it something you're just setting by the example of, of, of being mayor of Nashville?
0: Well, my son is 21. So he's a, he's away at college and and uh, as one may imagine, we definitely talk, but our conversations are not long and deep. <laughs> they they mostly ask for food money. <laughs> well, how about growing up? <laughs> Before he went off yes. to college, yeah. <laughs> yes, we definitely had those conversations around the at the table uh and uh, and I think that, you know, he he grew up in a house with a a strong uh, female uh, role model. And I think that that has probably led him to definitely be uh, much more expansive in what he thinks about just humankind in general. Yes.
1: So when you make a decision to to run for public office and then you have to kind of select what your uh, focus is going to be on, right? We all have different areas that we think are important and that we would like to see change. And from what I uh, read, you're focusing on uh, your, you know, main focus is on education, uh, affordable housing, transportation, the economy, obviously, and also um, a bit of the music industry and creative and entrepreneurial sectors. Right. Yeah. So how do you come up with the areas that you're going to kind of tackle, I'll say, um, right out of the gate? And and why are those particular areas important to you?
0: Sure. So, I mean, I think any any good leader uh, always assesses what are the the needs and what are the wants. And and clearly, from my perspective, what you just talked about are the things that I think Nashville needs and wants. We we want a strong education system, a public education system. We want affordable housing, and a, and to continue our strong economic growth. Uh, transportation is is huge because it feeds into all of that and, and making sure that we maintain this quality of life so that uh, our creative class continues to grow and thrive here. in Nashville is called Music City and we have a huge focus on not just music but also food and fashion and film, which uh, makes us very special.
1: Well, it's it's certainly an area I'd like to come to one day. Um, it's on my bucket list. Is is on many, I'm sure, um, and I'm. I guess my my curiosity is when you come up against those who um, are, think that the there's other areas that should be focused on. Um, how do you kind of how do you, how do you tackle that? How do you work with people and try to convince them? I'll guess I'll say that these particular topics are are most important.
0: Well, I think that what one of the hallmarks that I believe also has made Nashville. I'm a great place to be, and what I've tried to do over the last seven months is a lot of community engagement. So yes, there are different priorities. You've got uh, you've got neighborhoods that some want growth, some don't want growth. You've got folks who are absolutely uh, part of our prosperity, but we also have one of the highest poverty rates that we've had in a long time. So mm. you definitely have different components that are going to weigh on you as a mayor to make sure that you are looking at all of this, you don't get the luxury of just focusing on one thing.
1: That's right. You're constantly having to kind of uh, shift back and forth. Um, We're going to take a quick break, Megan, and when we come back, I'd love to talk to you about your four Ps. We'll be right back. Sure. Where does one turn when faced with the devastating loss of hair from cancer or other medical conditions? When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, she and her husband Rob decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to wig or call 215-945-4900. That's wig 215-945-4900 that phone number again is 215-945-4900 and ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig that's wig elegance, Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch. I am joined this afternoon by Mayor Megan Barry. Uh, she is the mayor, the first woman mayor of Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I, I read something that I guess is is uh, a little mantra for what keeps you focused or, or for areas that you um, want the people of Nashville to know you're working on, and that's to be progressive, pro-business, prosperity, and uh, facing the challenge of poverty. Can you talk about those four Ps?
0: Sure. So being pro-business and also being progressive, I don't think are mutually exclusive. And, in fact, at the national level, that that conversation seems to have stalled. But I can tell you in Nashville, by being both of those at the same time, we continue to have a, a thriving economy that makes you know, continues also to be uh, make sure that Nashville is a warm and welcoming place. And, you know, I, I look at, you know, around our town, and at the moment, we have 25 cranes in the air, and we're on track this year to do $3.6 billion worth of uh, new building uh, through our codes process, which is about a billion dollars more than we did last year. Uh, I just gave my budget to our Metro Council for their consideration and, we have about $121 million in new revenue uh, that we've generated, and that's because of our incredible growth. So I think that by having progressive policies, being LGBT-friendly, making sure that we are welcoming to new Americans, making sure that uh, we are focused on um, the things that are meaningful in people's lives has also helped feed our economy. I think they're, that they go together. Now, I, the other piece of that is the prosperity and the poverty. We've had tremendous prosperity, um, but there have been people who've been left behind in this prosperity. And so uh, it's also my focus to make sure that all boats get lifted and we have to make sure that everyone gets to enjoy that prosperity. And that means tackling our poverty problem.
1: You know, one of the things I think that's such a challenge when um, addressing poverty in any city is how do you go about you know taking care of your homeless and you know people that are on the very you know low end of of your economy helping them you know in the immediate uh their with their immediate needs and then also at the same time kind of encouraging this personal responsibility or or encouraging the transformation um you know we'd like to see all of these people eventually bring themselves out of those situations what are some of the ways that do you think you can uh tackle that
0: well i think you know what we what we know is that there are three pieces that if you if if you make sure that these three things happen the likelihood that you will be poor is greatly reduced and the first thing is you have to graduate from high school and and we've seen our graduation rates go up 20 points in the last 10 years so that's a lever that we're working on the second piece is you have to get your first job And if you get that first job, you'll get your second job uh, and your third job. And so I have an initiative right now called Opportunity Now, which is going to put 10,000 of our youth to work by 2017 through meaningful internships. Mm. Because I absolutely believe that getting that first job will give them that second. And third and and absolutely uh, uh, key is you cannot have a child until you're financially stable. So if you do those three things the likelihood that you'll be poor is greatly reduced. So we're trying to influence those across the board um and uh, really work to help lift up our our children who are in poverty now about 30% of our kids are in uh in poverty. And so how do we how do we move that needle by also helping their parents and and that's that's an ongoing uh multifaceted approach and you know I think somebody said to me one time it's not there's no silver bullet um it really is it 's silver buckshot, and you 've got to hit it from lots of different ways mm,
1: yeah, I agree. Um, one of the things you did was you created uh, the very first multiple youth violence summit. Um, yes. tell me what you know what was that about, and what was the outcome
0: sure we 've seen a dramatic increase in our youth violence, just as many cities across the United States have, and so we we immediately wanted to tackle this we don 't want it to get out of hand. Uh, I convened uh, uh, two very incredible people to be the co-chairs of the committee. One is the juvenile court judge. The other is our criminal court clerk. And under their leadership over the last several months, we have uh, convened five different working summits. And uh, my favorite was when we brought 400 public high school students together to talk to each other about what they saw as, as the biggest challenges around youth violence and The most meaningful comment that came out of that conversation was one gentleman who said, you know, you Nashville, you adults ask us to walk a tightrope, but sometimes we're going to fall and we don't have a safety net. We need a safety net. And that means after school activities. It means engagement in sports. It means internship opportunities. And it means feeling safe in neighborhoods and having some place to go. So all of that work culminated in a report that uh, my team gave me at the end of March that has six key areas that have goals in each one and then um, measurement outcomes for each one. So if anybody wants to see that, it's on, it's on our website, please feel free to to check it out, but we're moving on all six of those uh, those, those buckets and and identifying the drivers that we need to.
1: Mm. It's so important. And I, you know, we're seeing the other part of, you know, what's happening with our youths is, is the drug situation, which seems to be, um, really um, at an all-time high. What is that, um, or or how are you dealing with that in Nashville?
0: Um, You know, I think, obviously, anytime you talk about uh, criminal justice and you talk about criminal justice reform, the conversation about low-level use of drugs is always part of that conversation. Uh, We have not seen to the degree, I think, that some of our – cities or cities in the north have seen um, the epidemic of heroin, but it doesn't mean it's, it's not headed our way or not coming. But I think that uh, we're trying to get in front of that, and a lot of that has to do with working with our, our very excellent police force uh, to, to be out in the community, making those relationships uh, and, and helping us understand where the the, the pressure points may be.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to, uh, for all of us to to try to figure out what is the, the root cause, whether it is – and I'd love to know your opinion on that, whether you feel it's um, the pressures that young people face today, uh, that whether they seem to be um, higher or, or greater than when we were growing up, or is it accessibility, is there more of it? Wh- what do you think is going on with the young people?
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, mean, I clearly – the the idea that, uh, you know, drugs and young people have been a conversation, I think, for a long time, and, and uh, I think that as we continue to have those conversations that the drugs, they they seem to cycle and change, but being young is, is tough, and, and the pressure that comes with being young is tough, and I think having access sometimes is part of that conversation. And so I think how we go about making sure that our children are safe is, again, a complicated uh, conversations and I don't think I have an answer. Yeah.
1: Um one of the things that you've done that I think is is wonderful is, is that you've assembled a, a very diverse team, um one of the most diverse teams in, in the history of Metropolitan Nashville. And I, I would love to talk for just a few minutes on the importance of diversity. We obviously talk about that a great deal on this show. Um why do you believe um you'll you'll have more success um, and better outcomes when you have a more diverse team?
0: Well, I think that we, you know, there's enough studies out there that say that you're your dramatically uh, improve outcomes and performance the more diverse your team is. And and so I, I believe that you have to be very deliberate about going after and finding the highest and most qualified and talented individuals, but you can also make sure that you're looking at that through the lens of diversity. So I have an amazing team and who are just incredibly skilled and talented, but I also have over 50% of my team is women and 28% of my team is African American and 8% is Latina and 8% is LGBT. And that looks very much like what Nashville looks like. So trying to reflect what my team looks like. And then we want to make sure that, that our overall departments also reflect that. So I've recently brought in, a chief diversity officer to help assist with um our internal uh strategy on hiring across the board mm-hmm. you know our our metro nashville we have you know i've got 10,000 employees and 27 departments and 60 boards and commissions and a 2 billion dollar budget so we have to look at this through the lens of a strategy to help move that that needle
1: and tell me what Megan do you come up against or do you have situations where because you are a woman mayor that you feel you're being judged differently and if so how do you how do you address those those moments
0: well i have not felt like i'm being judged differently because i'm a woman i think that all politicians get judged by what they end up doing and if if you don't make good on the promises that you uh, put out there during a campaign uh, i think I don't think it matters if you're a man or a woman. I think that you'll disappoint the voters, and they'll they'll reward you with not reelecting you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think, you know, it, across all industries, you know, the, those prejudices are there. Um, but I think probably the best thing to do is just go out about your day and do your work as if they're not, right? And then um,
0: – Exactly. Yeah,
1: and then, you know, if, if those moments arise, you'll – you know, you'll know how to address them, but not to, in other words, not to be on the defensive, not to assume.
0: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, 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 you know, I mean, uh, being at a groundbreaking where we were uh, breaking ground for a new hotel and I was talking to the CEO and the CFO for quite a while. And then we all had to line up to go speak. um, And the, the MC of the show said, Oh, we're so excited to have uh, the mayor of Nashville here with us today and the CEO and the CFO both turn to each other while they're standing next to me. They were like, "Oh my gosh, that's so exciting! Where is he?" And <laughs> they scanned the crowd and looked for the mayor of Nashville. Right. So I did have the the great pleasure to tap them on the shoulder and say, <laughs> "Actually, mm, right here." That's um, see, um, yeah. that happens occasionally.
1: Right, right, um, and yeah, I love those those moments where you can kind of you know uh, not not prove someone wrong, but just say, you know, there is a possibility that the that this person you know could be a woman. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. We certainly are. We're seeing so many firsts today, which is so exciting. I think that there's um, absolutely a shift, um, a a change going on uh, globally. And we talk about the different initiatives within corporations and the abundance of women's networking groups, uh, workshops, all of that. What are your feelings on, uh, and I think particularly about younger women, you know, girls in high school who are – thinking about what they're going to be when they grow up. They get that dreaded question, what are you going to be? We want them to feel that it can be anything. And, right. um But I think there's, there's good ways to go about doing that, and, and there's some that just have not been effective. What do you see as ways, uh, I guess, messaging that we can give to young women and actionable things that we can do so that they truly believe um, they can take on any role?
0: Well, I think, you know, first the the idea that when you have a woman in a position, I think being visible and uh, being out there sends the most powerful message because I believe that if you can, you can be it if you can see it. Mm, And so, and and I, the, the flip side of the conversations with the CEO and the CFO is the amazingly delightful conversation that I get to have with young women, mm-hmm. especially young girls, who will say, oh, my gosh, do you mean the mayor? You're like a woman can be the mayor? Yeah. And those moments are priceless. Right. And and I love it when I can say absolutely.
1: Right. Yeah, that's so true, you know, that, that girls, you know, up until now um, or years ago, they weren't able to envision themselves in certain roles because there just weren't women in those roles. And now there are. Um so exactly. yeah that's definitely a plus. Um I read a quote that you said that I just loved and um I wanted to read it. You said that power is waking up every day and making a difference in someone else's life. Uh, I loved that and I wanted to know if Thank that you. if that was a, something that you've had, you know, since you were young or is it something that you've come to know um as you've, you know, gotten older?
0: It's definitely something I've come to know as I've gotten older and as I've been able to have positions that uh, have given me more access to power. So I do know that the fact that I get to sit in this seat at this moment gives me the opportunity to make a difference in people's lives, and and that is such a precious gift and, and one that I'm so grateful for every day
1: and when you when you use the word power does does that also mean that in in doing those things each time that you do something that affects um others in a positive way it offers up another opportunity to do something in another area
0: that's right that's exactly right yeah because power does give you the ability to influence how things get done um it gives you the opportunity to make decisions about where things will go and how things will grow and what kind of resources will be allocated to where and all of that comes with the fact that I get to sit in a seat and that's that's really just such a wonderful thing
1: we're going to take one last break Megan and when we come back I'd really love to know what a typical day is like for you we'll be right back Where does one turn when faced with the devastating loss of hair from cancer or other medical conditions? When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique, lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, she and her husband Rob decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to WigEleganceWigs.com or call 215-945-4900. That's WigEleganceWigs.com. 215-945-4900. That phone number again is 215-945-4900. And ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig. That's wig elegance Welcome back, everyone. We're talking this afternoon with uh, Megan Barry, who is the mayor of Nashville and uh, I would love to know what what your typical day is. That's kind of a generic question, but I, I would love to know, you know, what the mayor of Nashville does. You know, you wake up and what does well, your day look like?
0: <laughs> well, you're, you're making me laugh. There, there there isn't really a typical day, but but like today, I I, I just pulled off my schedule just uh, to to have it in front of me while I'm while we're talking. So I usually get picked up or around 7:30 in the morning and. Uh, Today I had my staff meeting right out of the box and then I needed to talk to the uh, coordination of elections and the secretary of elections because we've got elections coming up in November. We needed mm-hmm. to have a conversation about that and I had my senior team meeting and then I had an infrastructure meeting about all the infrastructure that's taking place all across the board and then I met with the, the head of our health board to discuss and stuff on that and then. We had a, a housing committee meeting, and we had a meeting about a grant that we're applying for that I went to Rotary because <laughs> I'm a Rotarian, uh-huh. uh, and then I just left a, uh announcement where we had a big press conference where a, a First Tennessee Bank is donating the half a million dollars to our not-for-profit in our town to help kids go to college and stay in college. Terrific. I've got uh, my lovely interview with you, and then... <laughs> I culminate my day with, uh, we're in the middle of a superintendent search, so I've got a one-on-one meeting with one of the candidates, then I've got to go give some awards at our uh, MNPS, our Metro Nashville Public School Academy Awards, then I've got to go to an event where we are raising money for the Tennessee Women's Suffrage Monument Reception because we are building a, a suffragette monument in honor of the fact that Tennessee was the deciding state that uh, gave women the right to vote and then i'm headed to the predators yeah then i'm headed to the predators playoff game we're in the playoffs tonight okay i'm uh, exhausted day.
1: (laughs) i'm exhausted (laughs) listening to to your day
0: (laughs) that's a pretty difficult day that's
1: a lot of stuff so that of course would lead me right into my next question and i ask this a lot of busy women um, I, w- I will never say, you know, how do you handle work-life balance because there is none and, and our day is K- never, right? There's never, it's never the way <laughs> right. we predict it. But what I do ask is how do you handle the overwhelm? And particularly for you, as you're, uh, you were just mentioning, all the different meetings, those those are all different topics and different areas that need to be addressed. Um, how do you keep it all from being overwhelming?
0: well first of all i'm I'm lucky for I love my job, so it doesn't feel overwhelming okay. everything I'm doing I want to do right and uh and a work life balance i mean you know I learned a long time ago that you outsource a lot of the stuff that you can't make time to do, which mm-hmm. I means like having somebody clean your house occasionally right. and somebody else mow your lawn uh and uh you know that's that makes it a whole lot easier and uh we, you know, we've gotten pretty used to takeout food. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but, you, uh, and it's easier for me now because I don't have children at home. Right. And, uh, and yes. I think that makes a huge difference. You know, my son is in college, so that's definitely freed up a lot more time.
1: Yes. I I mean, you don't have those uh, that same worry when they're self-sufficient, when you're, you have children that are self-sufficient. Um, they're not at the forefront of your mind as much as when they're
0: small. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, which, and And, you know, I'm not – I I'm not in a position now to you know the, the the sports demands of going to basketball games and baseball games yes. and, and all of the stuff that he did um as a kid obviously that that stuff has kind of rolled off my calendar because I always made a special point to to try to make all of that right. so I you know I got some time back on that so yes
1: so tell me what is is one of your greatest challenges um when when we discuss personal development I think there's areas we all struggle with um you know what what is difficult for you i don't want to say the hardest part of your job but just in the day to day what is something that you have to really work on um to be at your best
0: so yeah the greatest challenge i think for me just uh, and the things that i have to think through each day is, is actually making time to think because as i just read that schedule to you the the one thing that doesn't exist oftentimes are blocks of time to just step back and go how do I look at all the moving pieces of this and then strategically make the best decision Mm -hmm. so that's that's one of the I think from my perspective my challenge at the moment and I'm seven months in so I, I assume at some point Things will slow down a little bit, uh, but my scheduler tells me that we still are getting 50 requests a day Wow. <laughs> for stuff, or, for places to be. Right. Um, but surely that's going to, you know, that, that'll wear down a little bit, and uh, and maybe a little more thinking time, and that's where I have to be a lot more prescriptive about my schedule to say, you've got to carve out time. Yes. You just have to. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's, a, it's such a great challenge for all of us um, in the world we live in to be able to find those opportunities where we can be proactive rather than reactive because there right, are right? Exactly. There's things coming at us all the time. Um, right. And
0: so do you just right. kind
1: of remind yourself of that?
0: I do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I do try to take some time to do that and, you know, just have blocked off office time. It's just me being able to be in my office and think about, uh, things that are going on so we can be much more proactive yes because yeah being in a reactive mode is kind of like that fight-or-flight mode you (laughs) you don't want to be in it all the time it's just and it and it's not good for for national or government to have to always be reactive
1: that's right Um,
0: and I think that's one of the biggest challenges is is uh, getting ahead of things uh, so they don't get out of control right
1: so I will not ask you who you're voting for in November but you know gosh what a climate we're you know the political climate right now is uh, one that right. we've never seen before what
0: are your thoughts right. on what's happening Well I'm going to be I'm going to be in your fair city in oh, Philadelphia good. okay and yes, when which when? I'm very excited about um I'll be there this summer okay uh and uh so that should be fun. And then I think that the, the, the conversation at the national level disappoints me all the way around. Mm-hmm. And I think I just, I, I wish that we were having better conversations about how we're actually going to solve substantive problems. And there's a great book out there by a guy named Benjamin Barber. It's uh, it's called, If Mayors Ruled the World. <laughs> So you may imagine that it's one of my favorite books at the moment. Um <laughs> but it really does talk about what what you're going to be able to do and so much of what we're going to be able to do is going to be at the local level. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so many cities and, and even to some degree states have uh have decided that they've got to figure it out, that they can't rely uh, on the on the federal level anymore mm-hmm. and we have to move on. So, I mean I think we're seeing that and you're seeing that as I mentioned before, a uh, pro-business and progressive way. And I wish that we could have much more of that kind of dialogue.
1: I I do as well. And um, I do think that um, women have a certain ability in that area to make those conversations happen in that way, I'll say. I I think that, you know, I just think that, um, you know, our, our abilities and gifts are different from men and um when you bring women into a room and and have them participate in conversations like this i i think that there always seems to be um it kind of brings it brings it down a notch i'll say
0: um uh, well i think so too and in fact one of the things that i talk a lot about is this 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 goal to take conflict to conversation and then to action mm, so yes. You, you got to take all the conflict in the room, but then you got to boil it down to a conversation, and that means getting everybody around the table to make that happen. But then you can't just talk about it; you actually have to take some action on it. So that's kind of my three pieces: mm-hmm. conflict, conversation, action. Right.
1: And I think you know that's that's why um, I I I love seeing women in these roles because I think we're just natural problem solvers. But one of the one of the keys I think is always to be a good listener. Right. If you're right, you have to listen. Um, And often when you really listen well, sometimes you might surprise yourself on your your view um, on something. You might go into a meeting thinking, you know, you have a certain opinion. And if you really pay attention and listen, uh, you might be surprised. Your opinion might be something other than what you thought it was.
0: I completely agree. I think that uh, you have to be open been to listen to that conflict and to have an honest conversation because if you have a preconceived idea about what is the right thing to do you may miss what is actually the right thing to do that's right
1: so tell me what your future aspirations might be if if there are any or are you just all in head down you know in this
0: role right now well i am definitely my my goal and my desire at the moment is to be the best mayor that Nashville's ever had and uh and then to get reelected in three and a half years. So that's that's my goal, that's my vision. Uh and uh after that we'll see what happens.
1: Can I ask you what's your take? Did you were you able to read uh Charles Sandberg's book, Lean In? Yeah. 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 What did you think of
0: it? Well, you know, it it generated a lot of conversation about where I think women need to be much more proactive. And, in fact, it it fostered a lot of uh, kind of those lean-in circles around Nashville that were really good because it brought a lot of of women together that had not been together before. Mm -hmm. And I think any of those times that you have those opportunities to get women to see themselves as a much more powerful and motivated body uh, is a good thing. Um, And it was interesting, a a group of women and I, a couple of years ago started an organization specifically designed to go out and get women to run for office at a local level and we would you know we would gather on Friday night together and we're all you know we're all successful and we would just we would have our glass of wine and an appetizer and complain about the fact that women never run for office so instead of just complaining What we did is we said, okay, well, one of the barriers is that women don't run because they don't have money to run. So instead of us spending money on a glass of wine and an appetizer, let's go and get our friends to open up their homes, invite their friends over, and instead of that $25 that you would spend on that, put $25 in the kitty, and let's raise the money to elect some women. And this organization in the last two and a half years, I think, has raised about $25,000. Uh, to put toward local races, and twenty-five thousand in, dollars in local races is very meaningful because it's you know these are small dollar races, um, and so I, I find that when women get together, they they do go from that conversation to action, and that's definitely what uh, uh, leading in is all about.
1: It is, yes, and I find that, you know, I thought it was very uh, courageous uh, of Cheryl to talk so openly and candidly about, you know, the the insecurities and still the second-guessing that she has in light of the fact yep. that, you know, here she is CEO of Facebook, and um, I think there was some misunderstanding that – it was about you know we need to do more you know we need to that we're just right. not doing enough and we need to do, to do more and that that certainly is not the case uh, I think right it, it's more about encouraging women to understand that they do have the abilities uh, and they are capable right they are smart enough right um, and if we can take care of those issues as you said what a great idea to help you know uh, logistics which would be you know having the money raising the capital to right. run then we will see. We will see more women, you know, uh, taking a leap of faith.
0: Absolutely. And and you know, I mean, <laughs> I'll share one funny moment with you. I mean, you know, you asked me earlier if there's things that come across that you are um, surprised by. I, I was in a meeting, a couple, you know, a while back, and and with a, a, a guy, and, and at one point he reached over, took his hair. I mean, already, you know, like imagine the creepy hand coming at you anyway grabbing your hair and saying, Oh, I guess you really aren't a dumb blonde. Oh, gee. And and I
1: <laughs> huh. I
0: know. So those people are still out there too. Oh but, my you gosh. Know, you, but but those are the kinds of things where you just go, Wow, you know, um, we've had a complicated conversation about you know, policy and bonds, and you know, and and, and that's his reaction. Right. He said, "Oh gosh, okay, I guess you're not really a dumb log. Oh my um, gosh,
1: you know, he's still out
0: there too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so. Let me ask you this, Megan: Is he, there have you know we talk a lot about mentors? Um, has yes. there been someone in your life that comes right to your mind that, that has been a mentor f- for you, whether female or male?
0: <clears throat> yes, um, I, mean, I had a male mentor when I first graduated from my MBA program when I worked for a telecommunications company, who was amazing, who n- never let me quit. And I think there were many times when I would go to him and just say, you know, I just don't think I can do this. And he'd be like, oh, yes, you can. Like, don't ever underestimate yourself. Mm-hmm. And 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 he was so good at helping me see the strengths that I had within myself by always challenging me mm-hmm. um, to never let me, like, slide on on just mediocrity because he knew I could do better.
1: Now, do you think it was more impactful because that message came from a man who was telling you that?
0: You no, know, I've never thought about it. Um, I don't know, honestly. Uh, that's a great question because, yeah, yeah, I, I, well, I, yeah because I, I'm I going to have to think about that, Sue. You
1: know what? So I think it's women's jobs. We are our biggest – Cheerleaders—we're always cheering each other on. Um, I think you know we right. do that. But to have a man say to you, you know, listen, you can do it. Don't you ever give up? Um, you're smart, and, and right. I, I think it might be more impactful.
0: Well, it might. I mean, I, I do have to laugh. My husband always says, if I'm off to some award event or something, he's like, oh, great, more women giving other women awards. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so,
0: um, you know, uh, maybe there is something to that. <laughs>
1: well, I think that's, you know, that is, again, it's one of those things we, we're naturally, um, well, we're obviously naturally nurturers as, as mothers, right? We we were talking about this because right. this weekend was Mother's Day that, you know, we're important because we basically birth the planet. Right, that's a big job. We
0: sure do birth the planet. We right. do. We
1: birth the planet. That's a big job, and we should be, you know, take uh, take pride in that. Um, but when it comes to the workplace and business and 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 those things, I think it's important that we understand, we you know, intellectually, we are equally as capable. I would say it's one of those things that women struggle with, and I think there's a lot of reasons, and and maybe I'll ask you what you think those are, whether it's historical, cultural. Um, you know, what is what is the the biggest barrier women have to pursuing roles that are le- in leadership, leadership, I'll say?
0: Well, I mean, I think, Sue, you just articulated many of them. And, of course, there's a history there. I mean, I mentioned earlier that I'm off tonight to a, a Tennessee Suffragette Monument fundraiser. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't so long ago that women didn't have a voice in politics. That's right. Um And it's not that long ago. Uh, and so – you know, women still don't have equal work for equal pay and and one would think that that's actually a fundamental that would be a no-brainer but i mean i think we continue to see the women make tremendous strides but there are still tremendous gaps and uh and and having more women be in positions of influence and power uh will only uh, make it easier for for the women who come after them and i think that's really where we are yeah
1: um, we just have a, a few minutes left, Megan, and I'd love for you, I, I do know some women that are, you know, considering entering the political arena. What advice would you have for them? What has what has worked for you and what hasn't?
0: Well, have really thick skin and don't take things personally. Mm, right, for sure. <laughs> um, and that's yes. probably good advice for everybody. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I love it when when anyone, especially women, say that they want to, a life of public service, and, and and I would say if you are thinking about running for office, by all means, you know, do some um, um, analysis of the impact it will have on you and your family and your friends, but hopefully you'll make that decision to to step up because we really need good people who care deeply about their communities to serve, and it really is about service. That's That's the bottom line
1: that's right and and it can be done in, you know as as we talked about on a local level they don't have to think so big as to taking on you know positions that are um you know on a national stage um but right. perhaps take some smaller steps into the community um uh, you know having an impact there and then see where that leads
0: absolutely be the president of your pto uh you know be the president of your neighborhood association uh be you know whatever be Whatever it is in your community that's gonna make a difference, uh in whatever you're passionate about. Right. Yeah. Because you also have to have that passion piece.
1: That's right. You have to determine what you know, where do you want to have your have an impact. And it could be and again, yeah, you know, there are so many different areas that we need to um make changes in. And I think if you can kind of, you know, what resonates with you the most, then you'll have that as you said, you you know, you love your work and your job. It makes it right. so much easier. Right. Um, to, to to be passionate about it. So for um, if anyone's listening, Megan, and they want to be in touch with you, um, what's the best way to do that?
0: Sure. The best way to reach out to me is at mayor, M-A-Y-O-R, at Nashville.gov.
1: Okay. And is there any, any shout-outs you want to give uh, before we end the show? Anything happening? Well, that... do I
0: just want to say thank Yeah, I just want to say thank you. I thank you so much for for doing what you do, for highlighting women who are out there, and uh, for inviting me and including me on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, I Let appreciate... me know if you're ever coming to Nashville.
1: Oh, I certainly will. Well, uh, perhaps I can uh, shake your hand when you come to Philadelphia.
0: I'll look forward to it. I'll, it'll be fun to be there this oh, summer.
1: That's great. I, I'm okay. glad that you're coming. Thank you so much for, for giving us your Thanks time so today, much. Megan. Take care and have a good rest of the you're day.
0: You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks. you, too, Sue. Take okay, care. Take Bye-bye. Care.
1: That is it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Um, be sure to visit our website to find out um, about the lineup that we have. We have an incredible lineup of women coming on the show, uh, scheduled out through November. And you can find out at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Have a great week, everyone.